Welcome to Mom's Life Made Simple, the podcast for moms who want to go from chaos to calm, from overwhelmed to organized, and to find balance between family responsibilities and personal growth. I'm your host, Chanel Nielsen. Let's make mom life simple. Hello, and welcome to the Mom's Life Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Chanel Nielsen, and today I'm joined by Emily Hamblin. Emily, so glad to be with you today. Oh, it is such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are, Emily is from Enlightening Motherhood, which I love that title. And I love that thought because I feel like we need all the enlightening, all the extra help we can get in motherhood. And we're going to talk today a little bit about uh, parenting, about how we can do a little bit better, be a little calmer, be a little more joyful in our homes and in our families. But to start off, Emily, will you just take a minute and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and your family. Yes. Thank you again for having me here. And like you said, my name's Emily Hamblin. I'm with Enlightening Motherhood. We do have a podcast over there. Some people are probably coming from my podcast here. I love connecting like this, but um, my journey has been, it's been rough as a parent. Um, the last few years are smoother sailing, but the first few years were a lot rougher than I thought. I have a background as a teacher. I've always loved kids. I was sure I was rocking it in the teacher world. I was so sure when I hit parenthood, I see you smiling. Yeah. <laughs> you already know what's coming. Yeah. I was so sure that when I became a mom, it was just going to continue to be amazing and smooth sailing. And then I became a mom and it was amazing. I, I, I love my children. I definitely am grateful for them. I'm grateful to be a mom, but it was so much harder than what I thought. And the thing that was the hardest for me was the amount of emotional dysregulation in our home. And it seemed like the only way I could control my kids' behavior was to yell more, yell louder, intimidate more, take away more things. And then suddenly like their behaviors were getting to a higher level of needing control. And I'm yelling and taking away and intimidating more than I ever wanted to. And suddenly I realized this is not the feeling I wanted in my house. This was not how I wanted to parent. I wasn't enjoying my days, even though I loved my kids, I wasn't enjoying the days. And it's like these precious years were going by with me just feeling overwhelmed and stressed by the end of each day. It wasn't how I wanted to parent. I did not want to be yelling at my kids that much. So I began my own journey of figuring out different strategies and tools to be able to learn to regulate my own emotions more than just willpower, more than just saying, okay, I'm not going to yell and then yelling. Like it took so much more work than that. And then being in a place where I could help my children better with their big emotions and learning new skills, learning a lot of things that we'll talk about today on how to help them learn to handle those emotions when they do come up in healthier ways. And so now that, you know, I don't want to say I have it all figured out because we still have challenges here, but now that I figured out so much of it, I'm now trying to help reach out to other parents to help them understand what I wish that I had known. And even as I learn new things, teaching them, oh my goodness, I learned this new thing. I want to teach you about it because it's made such a huge difference with nervous system regulation or whatever it is that I learned recently. And so that's my goal now is just trying to make those really hard years less hard and give a lot more hope and enlightenment, which is where the name comes from. And also I know for me, I didn't know my kids were neurodivergent. I didn't know I was neurodivergent. I just knew that 
it seemed like so many people didn't get it. They didn't get what it was like to have a nine-year-old melt down and scream at you for 45 minutes because you asked them to load the dishwasher. And I would turn to friends that were really trusted and say, what, what do you do when this happens? And they would just look at me like, and I felt so alone, like no one got it. So that's the other thing I, I'm trying to bring is more solidarity and more of that feeling of you're not really alone there. There is so much hope still for your family. Oh my goodness. There's so many things in there I want to dive into and talk about that I think are going to be helpful. Um, the first question I have for you is I find it really interesting. And my background, the reason I was smiling as you were saying all that is because my background is very similar. I come, I, one of my minors, so my associate's degree is in family science. I'm the oldest of eight kids. I was like, oh yeah, I got this. I know how to be with kids. This is going to be easy. And then it was not easy. It was so difficult. So my first question for you is what ages of your kids, like when did it really hit for you that like, wow, this is so hard? Um, it kind of started around four, you know, we hear terrible twos, Yeah, but twos were actually quite easy for us. Um, it started around three to four and then it, it just layered as I, as I had more children, I felt yeah. like it kept layering on. And for a while there, we were foster parents. And so we had biological children and foster children. And that's, that's when, no, I won't say the full phrase. So in like all this stuff, yeah, <laughs> it hit the fan. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's when things just really, um, pushed me to my max and I needed to learn. I needed to learn how to do it differently or it just wasn't happening anymore. It became yeah. a sink or swim for me. Okay. That makes sense. And then I want to dive into a little bit, this idea of neurodivergence, because I feel like it's something, um, some people learn about and embrace. Some people are very like, no, don't even want to hear it. La la la. I'm not listening. That's not, that's not me. That's not my family. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, the process for you of learning that that was a part of your story and what, what that actually means. Yeah. So I know it's a little bit of a buzzword right now, right? A lot of the, a lot of the things we're talking about are buzzwords, emotional intelligence, emotional regulation, yeah. neurodivergence. All right. Um, but this idea of neurodiversity is the idea that all of us have a brain that is unique and neuroscientists are finding that each brain is like a thumbprint. There's a lot of similarities, right? But they're all 100% unique. Now, there are some people whose brain wiring is going to vary more so. Like, we all have general trends that we would call neurotypical. If you have certain tendencies in your brain wiring that are grouped together into a category that other people have, then that's when we become neurodivergent. For example, autism. A, a child with an autistic brain would be considered neurodivergent. So we're all neurodiverse because we all have a unique brain thumbprint. Um, my, I have two children with autism. Uh, they also have ADHD. I have ADHD. Um, I have another child that's not diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure there's, there's something going on. Right now I'm just saying he's highly sensitive. So his nervous system is very highly sensitive and he's very deeply feeling. That's what we're saying now until later when we um, 
if we decide to go through the evaluation process. So um, what that's meant for me was just understanding more of the why that children with ADHD wiring tend to be a little bit behind on their emotional regulation. They don't tend to learn emotional intelligence as easily or as naturally or as their neurotypical peers might. And so that's what it's been in our family. Um, I say whether or not your child is neurodivergent or whether or not they have a diagnosis that we should all approach it from a neurodiverse lens. Does that make sense? This idea that all of our brains are different, whether or not there's a diagnosis. Yes. And that it's going to really, it's going to benefit you and your children so much if we just come at it from that angle of whether or not there's a diagnosis, we all have unique brains and some of us have stronger wiring in one area. Like you might have a child without a diagnosis and they don't have as much wiring in their empathy areas of their brain. So they need us to help them develop that empathy area more. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's so powerful and just a a unique way to just a different perspective and a different way to look at our children and to look at what's happening. Now, another thing that you mentioned is that you found yourself yelling a lot in those early days and you found yourself just the emotions were running high, both with your kids and with you. And I think a lot of us can relate. That's, you know, typical, but it's not what we want. And it doesn't lead to enjoyable days with our kids. So how can we kind of get over that place so that we enjoy being with our kids more? Mm, That is such a good question. If only I could solve it in the next five minutes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What it took for me, and this is one thing we do in one of my memberships, Emotionally Healthy Families, we We spend a lot of time digging into the why. So instead of focusing, just like our children, instead of focusing on that surface behavior, trying to control my yelling, okay, I'm not going to yell, not going to yell. First, we need to understand why are we yelling in the first place? Yes, I'm yelling to get my kids to put their shoes on because we're going to be late, but why am I choosing yelling to get them to put their shoes on? We can find all of these other tools. Why is yelling become my default? And to do so on a basis of self-compassion rather than self-negativity, guilt, shame. Some of my clients have even gone into self-hate, right? None of those are actually very helpful. They're very natural for society to tell us we should be guilty, to tell us that something's wrong with us, that we should be hard on ourselves. But if we can put it on a basis of self-compassion of, okay, I'm doing my best. Today, my best was to yell at my kids to get them to put their shoes on. It's not what I want for the future, but that was my best today. And why was I yelling at them? What was, what's going on under the surface here? And if we can delve deep into our own triggers and into understanding, um, really, I go into like the science of emotions and understanding our thoughts and, and our body budget is huge and something that's often overlooked, especially in, in the coaching world that our physical state matters too, because it's communicating things to our brain also just like our thoughts are. And so putting that all together and digging deep to understand that, that is like what it took for me to finally cut my yelling down by 90%. And we still do have that 10%. I still, I totally lost it on a kid yesterday who began screaming for fun in the van. (laughs) And honestly, I was thinking back, like, should I have used another tool? And I'm like, I don't think there was another tool. I needed him to stop yelling. And that 
that was it at that moment. So I still use it. It's just 10% instead of a hundred percent. Yes. Okay. So body budget, that is not a phrase I've heard before. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you mean by that. Okay. This is a phrase that I learned from Mona Delahook in her book, brain body parenting, which I highly recommend. Um, and I highly recommend everyone go and follow Mona Delahook if they're a parent. She is one of my favorites. She did recently have a ruptured brain aneurysm, so she's not posting new things right now, but you can go back and look at all of her previously posted things. They're superb. Um, body budget is a phrase from her that she got from a neuroscientist whose name I can't remember off of the top of my head. And it's this idea of like our nervous system can take so many hits before it becomes dysregulated. And so she calls it a body budget. If we're showing up hungry and we didn't sleep well the night before and we haven't had sunshine and moved our bodies and we haven't had the social um, connection that we need, perhaps all of those things are affecting our nervous system, which she calls a body budget. And when it becomes really empty, it's very easy for us to enter that dysregulated state because there's not much more in our budget to give. And so it might be a seemingly simple thing, like we ask our child to clear their plate from the table and they tell us no. And suddenly we're screaming at them as though they had just pulled out a knife and tried to cut someone, right? Like, like we know it's not an emergency. We know it's not unsafe, but suddenly we totally entered meltdown mode. And it's not about that plate. It's about everything leading up to the plate and everything else that's going on under the surface for us. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I love hearing the science behind that because that's something in my work that we've talked about for many years, this idea of self-care, of filling your cup. And and it's basically the science behind why you need to do that, why that matters and how that's then affecting, you know, like you said, your nervous system that then is going to allow you to react versus respond, right? And when we get to that level where it's just, we're depleted and we are, you know, we don't have as much conscious space between stimulus and response, I will say. When we get down to that depleted state, it's instant response. And generally those aren't our best, the the best way that we're going to react. That's when we're going to yell or freak out or just show up in the way that we don't want to. Now, another question, I want to understand this for you or, or even a client that you've worked with, but this idea of digging into the why, because I can see how it's really valuable to say to myself, okay, I've been yelling at the kids, but why am I yelling? And then for me, as I'm hearing you talk about this, I think, I don't know why. And I imagine that's most people's first response. Like, I don't know, I'm yelling because he's doing this, but there's something deeper there. How, what have you seen? What are some of those whys that get uncovered as you do the work? It's usually very intricate. So I'll just use my own examples. So I'm not throwing anyone else under the bus here. (laughs) Um, Let's say I find that my kid has snuck some candy and they're eating it in the living room, which is a no-no for us to eat candy in the living room. It's just a sticky mess that my kids won't clean up. So um, let's say I find my kid eating candy in the living room and I come and I say, hey, what are you doing? And my kid looks at me and they dump their candy on the floor. Let's say that happens. Um, If I 
And let's say I start screaming at them. What are the reasons that maybe I would scream or that I would start to feel dissipated whether or not I end up screaming? Um, so many reasons. Number one, when I was parented, if I had done that, I would have gotten screamed at. And so I have very much wired into my subconscious brain that this is what parents do when their children behave this way. It's what was modeled for me in my formative years. And so that's what's subconsciously wired. If I'm not going to intentionally change that, that's what's going to happen. Um, we also have society has told us this story, right? Of this isn't what good kids do. And mm. my kid is doing it. Society has told me the story of this is entirely unacceptable for a child to do. And so again, I'm going to default to, okay, so how do I handle it the way that my parents did, which was by screaming or yelling. Um, we also have, um, you know, just so many reasons, sorry, they're coming at once. Um, maybe I had just cleaned that carpet yesterday and I had, you know, the kid just dumped it on the carpet. And now I'm having all of these thoughts flood my brain about all of the work and how it some, suddenly to me becomes an emergency. Um, I also know this is where my own neural wiring has made a difference because I have ADHD and in ADHD, we tend to feel emotions kind of as on or off. So if we have a range of emotions, like I'm feeling like a one or a two of anger, we don't tend to have like, if we have ADHD, we don't tend to get much of like a five, four, five, six, we go from like one to two to like nine to 10. Mm. And so it's usually an on or off. And we feel a lot of urgency with our brains there's a lot of like it's either present or not present does that make sense yeah, yeah that's and so for me I know when I'm feeling anger it's going to flip fast like I don't have a lot of runway before the plane takes off and so learning from me okay if I'm triggered a little bit I have to deal with my emotions while they're really small or they're going to get really big really fast and so those are a lot of the different reasons for me. And there also might be something that, um, this is what Dan Siegel calls shark music. Maybe that kid that had just dumped the candy out, maybe 10 minutes or half an hour earlier, they had just done something that had pushed my buttons. And yeah. so I'm still a little bit dysregulated about that. And even though it's independent from this, it's playing in the background of my brain. Yeah, that makes sense. So hearing kind of the why and the thought process, <laughs> This is going to sound funny, but it almost sounds justified. Like, well, then go ahead, Emily, yell at your kid. Like, those are all really good, solid reasons why you might want to do that. And so, but we know that that's not the way we want to show up. It probably isn't going to get the best results. And so then how do you break out of that when there are all these good reasons why, convincing reasons why? Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you said that. Like, of course I'm yelling. Like that is, that's huge. That's part of that self-compassion piece. Of course I'm yelling. Look at all of these reasons yeah. for why I would yell. Hello, self, you're doing your best. This is what you've got to work with. Of course you're yelling. You know, we don't want to keep yelling. We want to find new ways to handle the yelling, but let's stop and recognize that we're not yelling because we're just these awful humans. We're not yelling because we're, we're trying to make our kids life horrible or whatever, whatever thoughts we might have about it. Yeah. There's so many really real reasons why we're yelling and let's have self-compassion. Now we don't want to continue yelling. So now we need some new ways to handle those moments. 
But first of all, let's have some self-compassion about the fact that the yelling is there in the first place. So now that we have that self-compassion, that's where we start all of our coaching. Start with self-compassion, right? And then we understand, okay, so this is why it's there. I'm feeling angry. And these are all of the reasons. Plus I have this neuro wiring and I have this default subconscious wiring from when I was parented. It's all coming together right now. So now we're being run all on subconscious levels. I need to start infusing intentionality and consciousness into it. So if I know that I always yell when my child does something like that, when they do something that I just asked them not to do, or when they turn around and they do something that seems to be defiant, then I need to practice with myself. What am I going to do instead? Mm -hmm. If this is something that I'm always yelling at that moment, what am I going to do instead of yelling? And then we want to practice that. And we want to practice it in our minds. We want to practice it when we're not feeling a 10 on that emotional scale, when we don't feel that it's an emergency and we've lost all rational thought, right? That we practice it at times when we're calmer and we dig into it. Okay. So, and then one by one, we can change. You know, let's change that story that society's telling us that this is a bad kid. Let's change stories that say that this is completely unacceptable. Not that I want my kid to continue doing it, but what if I can change my perspective as to why they're doing it? And so sometimes digging deep into my child's why, why did he do that? Mm. Well, maybe he was seeking connection and I hadn't connected with him. Sometimes we say attention. I like connection so much more, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's looking for connection and he doesn't have different skills. Just like I don't have different skills to not yell. He doesn't have different skills to ask for connection at that moment. That's his way of asking for connection for me. Maybe he's feeling guilt and shame because he snuck that candy because he doesn't have the impulsivity control to not sneak it yet. And so he wants to deal with his guilt and shame in a way that he doesn't yet know how to handle. And the way that he does that is to show defiance because that's a way for him to try to release that guilt and shame. Right. So I can, those are just a lot of maybes based yeah. on one kid, right? So if I start to change their story and understand it from a new perspective and work on myself and reach for a new tool. So what am I going to do in that moment? Then all of those little things will suddenly start to match up and we're going to realize, oh my goodness, my kid just screamed no in my face and I'm not happy that they did it. I'm not going to quote unquote, like let them get away with it. Right. But I was just able to stay calm. I was able to stay in control of my emotions. And that's when you're like, wow, all of this work is worth it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the intentionality, the thought process that goes on. And then the idea that there is choice there, that there is this ability that you can break free of those patterns and you can do something different. It doesn't have to keep being this same way because I think so often, you know, you can hear something like, oh, you know, you want to be better. And so you hear about stopping yelling or whatever it is. And you're like, oh yes, I really want that. But then the moment comes again, that trigger comes again and you just do it again. And so I love this idea of stepping outside, really working through it figuring it out, imagining a different scenario and coming to this place with a new, a new wiring. It's fragile, right? It's just starting to create this new pattern in your brain. But I think that's really, really powerful. Thank you. And you notice that most of that work doesn't happen while your kid is dumping the candy. Yes. In the it's yeah. all happening 
outside. If you do lose it, that you think back compassionately. And why did I lose it? Or if you think it might end up happening, you think ahead of time proactively. Okay. Why might I lose it? And what can I do instead? Yes. I love that. So I imagine this is a lot of the work that you do in your, in your work, in your coaching. Is that right? Yes. We do a lot of, um, well, most parents come to me because they want me to help their kids with their meltdowns. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I get, I totally get. And then we end up when we dig the, the deepest transformation was when the parents first work on their own regulation. And then they're in a much better, like more logical place to be able to help their kids with theirs. Then we dig into a lot of like, okay, my kids won't stop climbing the banister and it's really high and it's dangerous. And what, what can we do? Like we're in a much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a much um, healthier and a much more productive state to be able to handle. Okay. Now we're ready to address those kids' behaviors. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, tell people where they can find with, find you and where they can get more information about working with you. Well, if they're on a podcast now, if they want to come over to my podcast, it's enlightening motherhood. If they're um, wanting to get any of my resources, I have a, a freebie to help you understand the why behind your child's meltdowns. It breaks it down into six different areas for why your child is melting down. I know we talked about our own meltdowns today, but this will help you understand why your child's melting down. They can get that at enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash freebies. And they can also connect with me on social media, all under Enlightening Motherhood. Okay. Awesome. Well, I love what we've talked about today because I think there's so much power in changing the way that you show up in controlling and regulating yourself so that it has this ripple effect on everything else in your home and family. And so for our final question, I'd love to know, how does this, everything that we've talked about today, how does it help make mom life simple? Mm -hmm. I think everyone can understand how much more simple it is and easier to handle our children and whatever behaviors they might have when we're able to show up from a place that's more regulated, that's calm, that's confident, that's compassionate, instead of showing up stressed, overwhelmed, angry, frustrated, worn thin, all of the ways that were my default. Not that we don't feel those, but they're no longer our default. It just makes everything else run so much smoother in our families. Definitely. Okay. I couldn't agree more. I think that's fantastic. Thank you, Emily, for being here. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to Mom's Life Made Simple. Need some help making your mom life simple? I offer group coaching programs using my four-step method called the Mom's Method. This is a process of manifestation, organization, mobilization, and simplification that will give you the balance, progress, and joy you're looking for. Visit chanelnielsen.com or go to bit.ly forward slash momlifebook to get your copy of my brand new book, Stop Putting Yourself Last. I love to hear from you, so reach out with your questions, your feedback, and let me know how I can help make your mom life simple.